0: Section eight of Fancies versus Fads. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere. Fancies versus Fads by G. K. Chesterton. Section eight Wings and the Housemaid among the numberless fictitious things that i have fortunately never written there was a little story about a logical maiden lady engaging apartments in which she was not allowed to keep a cat or dog who nevertheless stipulated for permission to keep a bird and who eventually walked round to her new lodgings accompanied by an ostrich there was a moral to the fable connected with that exaggeration of small concessions in which for instance the germans indulged about espionage or the jews about interest but this faded fancy returned to my mind in another fashion when a very humane lady suggested the other day that every domestic servant including the butler i presume should be described as a home bird Unless the lady is misreported, which is likely enough, she wanted servants called home birds because they keep the home fires burning, which, as many will be ready to point out, is hardly the particular form in which the domesticity of the nest commonly expresses itself. But I am not at all disposed to deride the lady's real meaning, still less her real motives, which referred to a real movement of social conscience and sentiment however wrongly expressed. She was troubled about the implied insolence of calling servants servants and apparently even of talking about maids or the cook. Therefore she evolved the ornithological substitute, about which of course it would be easy to evolve a whole aviary of allegorical parodies. It would be easy to ask whether a private secretary is to be called a secretary bird or perhaps the telephone girl a humming-bird but it will be enough to say generally of the proposal in its present verbal form that one has only to submit it to any living and human housemaid in order to find that particular home-bird developing rapidly into a mocking-bird nevertheless as i have said we should not merely dismiss any social doubts thus suggested Or any impulse towards a warmer respect for work generally grossly undervalued. Too many people of the more snobbish social strata have treated their servants as home birds, as owls, for instance, who can be up all night, or as vultures who can eat the refuse fit for the dustbin. I would not throw cold water on any indignation on this score but i note it as typical of the time that the indignation should fail on the side of intelligence for it is the mark of our time above almost everything else that it goes by associations and not by arguments that is why it has a hundred arts and no philosophy thus for instance the lady in question lumps together a number of terms that have no logical connection at all There is at least a meaning in objecting to one person calling another a servant. As I shall suggest in a moment, there is not much sense in changing the name when you do not change the thing, and there is a great deal of nonsense in denying the status of the servant at the moment when you are making it more servile. Still, anybody can see how the term might be held to hurt human dignity but the other terms mentioned cannot hurt human dignity at all i cannot conceive why it should insult a cook to call her a cook any more than it insults a cashier to call him a cashier to say nothing of the fact that dealing with cookery is far nobler than dealing with cash and the third title certainly tells entirely the other way the word "maid" is not only a noble old english word with no note of social distinction, for a medieval king might have praised his daughter as a good maid. It is a word loaded with magnificent memories in history, literature and religion. Joan the Maid suggests a little more than Joan the maid servant, and as it says in Mr. Belloc's stirring little poem, By God who made the master maids, I know not whence she came. But the sword she bore to save the soul went up like an altar-flame. It is needless here to trace the idea back to its splendid sources, or to explain how the word maid has been the highest earthly title not only on earth but in heaven. Mother and maiden was never none but she. Here at least modern humanitarian criticism has gone curiously astray, even for its own purposes. Any servant, may well be satisfied with the dignity of being called the Maid, just as any workman may be rightly honoured by the accident which calls him the Man. For in a modern industrial dispute, as reported in the papers, I always feel there is a final verdict and sentence in the very statement of the case as Masters versus Men. The true objection lies much farther back. It begins with the simple fact that the home bird is not in her own home. When that particular sparrow stokes the fire as above described, it is not her own fireside. When we happen to meet a canary carrying a coal scuttle, the canary is not generally a coal owner. In short, wherever we find pelicans, penguins, or flamingos keeping the home fires burning, they may all be earnestly wishing that they could fly away to their homes now a moderate amount of this temporary and vicarious domesticity is a natural enough accident in social relations so long as it does not obscure and obstruct more individual and direct domesticity in short there is no particular harm in the maid being a housemaid in someone else's house if she normally has a chance of being a housewife in her own. As I shall suggest in a moment, this is what was really implied in certain older institutions to which the wisest are now looking back. But in any case it is odd that the home bird should thus plume itself at this moment, for the trend of the time is certainly not towards any domesticity, direct or indirect. The birds have long been netted. Are caged by cold, fear, and hunger into larger and more terrorist systems. The Happy Homebirds are keeping the factory fires burning. The only legal and industrial tendency seems to be to shut up more and more of the women, those strange wild fowl, in those colossal cages of iron. Nor is the change one of mere aesthetic atmosphere. We know now, that it is one of economic fact and may soon be one of legal definition. In a word, it is queer that we should suddenly grow sensitive about calling people servants when we are in the act of making them slaves. Indeed in many concrete cases we may already be said to be making them convicts. The true moral meaning of much that is called the improvement of prisons is not that we are turning prisoners into a better sort of people but rather that we are treating a better sort of people as prisoners. The broad arrow is broadened in so liberal a fashion as to cover those who would once have been counted respectable. And there is a sense in which the broad arrow, becoming broader, is bound to become blunter. The prison becomes utilitarian as well as disciplinary, as the factory becomes disciplinary as well as utilitarian the two become simply and substantially the same for they have to treat the same sort of impecunious people in the same sort of impersonal way people may differ about the definition of that common condition or status some may eagerly salute persons involved as homebirds others may prefer to describe them as jailbirds For the rest, if anybody wants to strike the central stream of moderate sanity in the servant problem, I recommend him first to read, with a close attention, or preferably to sing in a loud voice, the song called Sally in Our Alley. In that great and glorious English lyric, the poet does not disguise the accidental discomforts of the great system of apprenticeship which was part of the glory of the guilds. He even exhibits his Christian prejudices by comparing his master to a Turk. He actually entertains, as every reflective social reformer must, the hypothetical alternative of the servile state and considers the relative advantages of a slave that rows a galley. But the point is that what makes him refuse and endure is hope, the sure and certain hope of a glorious emancipation not the hopeless hope of a chance and a scramble with a general recommendation to get on or get out but a charter of knowledge and honour that when his seven long years are past, a door shall open to him which our age has shut on the great multitude of mankind end of section eight